Hello and welcome to episode two of Deep Diving, a brand new podcast. First of all, thanks a million for listening to episode one, which last week got to number three in the Irish podcast charts. I was absolutely delighted. I like to think it's on account of my universal appeal, but that's precisely bollocks. It was on account of the wonderful Lewis Capaldi, who's blazing a trail all over the charts, all over the world. And if you haven't listened to it, I suggest hopping back and catching up. It's only about 35 minutes. It was a short one. And uh, Lewis was an open book and great fun and today Glaswegian drawl was a delight to behold so worth checking it out and thank you all very much for listening I really appreciate it now my guest for deep diving today is uh, is not as well known as Lewis Capaldi in one sense though I argue many more ears have heard music that she's involved in than Lewis at this point in his career her name is Ruth Ann she's an Irish singer but more importantly for today's podcast anyway she is a prolific songwriter she has co-written songs that all in cumulatively have about 1.5 billion streams. Let's start from the bottom and work our way up. She wrote Too Little Too Late for Jojo, which has 132 million streams. Now, Jojo was a big pop artist. She's still around, but she was at the height of her fame about a decade ago, and that was her breakout song. This seems like the obvious point. I would play a clip of the song, by the way. But no, not the case. There's this urban legend doing the rounds called the 10 Second Rule. And the idea of it is, is that if you play 10 seconds or less of copyrighted music, you can get away with it without having to pay royalties or be in legal trouble or whatever. I did a little bit of investigation. That is bollocks. Uh, you definitely have to have a license if you want to play copyrighted music um, and that's expensive. So no clips here, sadly. I can sing if you like. It's just a little too late, a little... A little no, I won't do that one. Maybe you know it. She also wrote Work Bitch, co-wrote Work Bitch for Britney Spears, which was in part responsible for bringing Britney back after her big self-imposed hiatus, after she had her breakdown. She co-wrote Slow Hands for Niall Horan, which is just shy of half a billion streams, that one song, and was also a game-changer for Niall on that album, Flicker. It's a lovely album. It's quite a folky album. And without that song, it's a complete different album and that pulled him into the charts in a way that maybe the rest of the album wouldn't have done even though it's a gorgeous piece of work she also wrote In the Name of Love by Martin Garrix and BB Rexa In the Name of Love I'm done that has over 800 million streams. That's four-fifths of a billion if you're terrible at maths. So she's prolific and she's going to talk to us on Deep Diving today about the songwriting world, getting her big break when she was 17, going over to Los Angeles as this green, naive teenager, being mentored by the script, all the money you make from these songs, her Me Too moments in studio, her thoughts on Michael Jackson, on The X Factor and everything in between. So it's a really fascinating chat. Um, If you do like it, if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, please post it on your socials, please share with your friends. I've got my eyes on some really big names and every pair of ears helps when you're going to the record labels going, give me these people. So uh, the more the merrier. So without further ado, this is episode two of Deep Diving with Ruth Ann. 
Hello, Ruth Ann. Hello, Owen. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. No problem. Um, so we've talked on the radio loads of times. And yes. I've always got the sense that, and I actually, to be fair, you said it before we press record, you know too much. I know way too much. It's like, Ruth Ann, she knows things. People um, are waiting for the book. People are, are nervous for the book. But I almost know too much where like, I have to be careful what I say, but I can be like semi-open. <laughs> no, I'll just be open. Okay, good. Because I guess there probably is like a little bit of an underbelly that mm. I would love to get into. But just let's do the whistle stop tour of like what it says on your Wikipedia about where you grew up type thing before we get into the gold. Where I grew up, I grew up in Donamese yeah. in Dublin. I went to school in Holy Faith, Clontarf. Yeah. I was a Billy Barry kid, which sometimes I get negativity for and I don't appreciate that because if I wasn't a Billy Barry kid, I don't think I'd be doing as well in the music industry as I am because of the foundations that I learned there about being professional and everything and everything I was taught. But yeah, I'm a bit proud Billy Barry kid. So what was the point then when you were growing up and you were doing Billy Barry? What was the point where you said, oh shit, this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to make my money from. For seven. I was seven years old. I knew. I didn't even, I felt like it was my job. I wrote songs and sang them for my parents as if it was a gig. I had all the neighborhood kids around getting my 50p's. I would go up to massive rough gangs in, in Donamead because my parents had no money. I'd go up to them and I'd go, I'll sing you Mariah Carey if you give me 50p. Get sweets for all my friends. Like I would go up to her and they'd be like, go on, sing your song first. And I'd be <laughs> belting out my heart at 10. And that was the way I was. I always saw it like, this is what I do. This is my career. Even if no one else knows it that was just what I did I guess your big breakthrough as it were yeah. as it's written was Jojo's Too Little Too Late yeah well actually my bigger break well that, not sorry not bigger break but my first big break where I actually started doing it professionally was the 2FM Jacob Song Contest which which, uh, which Jacob's Biscuits yeah the Jacob yeah do you not remember the 2FM songwriter contest so under for under 20s and my dad sent in a demo without telling me and my I got dad um, my, yeah he's the best and I, we end up winning with my girl band La Dolce Vita, which if you haven't heard of us, we were big nowhere. <laughs> but we we played a Vicar Street, played a song and then I got a lot of press and then from that found the Irish manager who took me to LA and then three days in, having never been in America before, co-wrote Too Little Too Late by Jojo. So it was a bit of a fat, straight after leaving cert, leaving cert at final exam, flew to LA, wrote that song. So it was a very strange Were you shitting yourself going to LA? Was that intimidating or did you kind of go, this is what I'm born to do? Well, in a way, I was that 17-year-old like, I'm going to be huge. Like, you know, because when someone meets you and you've won this competition in your home country and then it's like, I'm going to take you to LA and I'm going to make you a star. And he at the time was working with Mark and Danny from the script who weren't the script yet. So he was developing them. They were just songwriters. They were were songwriters. So they started developing me. So they're actually the first people I ever co-wrote. With Mark, Mark and Danny. Was Mark and Danny, yeah. No way. They were huge mentors to me in the way of I was just used to writing by myself and running my own songwriting ship. And then when I went over there, it was like learning how to co write, learning how to record properly, learning how to produce. They were very instrumental in that. So I give them a lot of credit for that. They were like big brothers to me. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. And they've they've continued that because they're big mentors now to Wild Youth. Like yes. They're obviously very happy to impart knowledge and, and champion yeah. people. Yeah, I think they know how hard it is. And we were managed by the same manager and um, he brought me over to them basically to, to, to mentor me and to grow me as an artist. And then during that, I met, you know, the, well, the third day in met Billy Steinberg who had written with them and he was like, yeah, I'll write with, I'll write with Ruthann. So we, and then we wrote He's Madonna and all these Yeah, he heads. did Like a Virgin. He did uh, True Colours. He wow. did, I mean, he's a big song, big lyricist and he brought me in and um, we wrote a little too late. 
that was the first time I'd ever really properly co-written in a professional sense. So when I got into the car, though, with Danny in the car and we played it, I said, this isn't for me. This is for Jojo. And my manager was like, are you crazy? This is a hit. And I'm like, I just know it's for her. And then when I got the call about a year later saying, Jojo wants that song. Because I never felt like it was my artist stuff. Oh, it took a full year. It took, oh yeah, it took two years for it to come out. Is that normal? A hundred percent. In the name of love, it took two years. I was sitting on that song. I had Diplo make a version. I had Major Lazer made a version. Skrillex made a version of In the Name of Love. And it was just a piano vocal was the demo. And then when I heard the Martin Garrix version, I was like, sick, this is amazing. And he's managed by Scooter Braun. So I was so excited. Justin and then, and then they got BB yeah. Rex on it. Still took two years. And who, <laughs> I was like, is it coming out? Is it coming out? So, so there's a Skrillex version. There's a Diplo version. Yeah. There's a, the Martin Garrix version mm-hmm. that we now know. Yeah. Who decides who gets it? Really, it's it's the major laser, ver- major laser version. I don't think any of us, I don't even think they felt 100% confident in it. And then... I can't remember the Skrillex version. I think it's the one who shows the most interest. And at the time, Martin was like, this is mine. When he played it, he dropped it at Ultra. And then I was like, here we go. And it's coming out. And then it took another seven months. I was like, it just takes all this. It just takes time. Jumping back to Too Little Too Late, though. Sorry, yes. So you gave that to her. Mm. It changes your life, right? Because I assume yeah. you make a fortune. Your name is now, you've got a calling card. Yeah, I was 19 when it came out. I had written in at 17. So we're two years down the line, two years in LA, you know, trying to beat down the doors, whatever. As soon as that song came out, it was like every publisher, every label, everyone wanted to be with me. All of a sudden it was like, there was offers coming in and the dinners that you get, the free dinners, I call them, the publishing rounds, you get your free dinner, all the meals paid for. And it was crazy. Like give or take, you can even mm. do it in this many figures or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like how much money are we talking? <laughs> like, did you make off that one song? I bought a house at 21. Okay. Yeah. A song like that can keep you alive, living. And at the end of the day, I don't come from a lot of money. My parents are middle class family. I'm not like sob, sob story. I'm just saying they work very hard, but they're not the type of parents that can go, here, I'll pay your credit card off. And here's a, like, I've had sure. to work for everything. So it definitely, it funded my life for flying back and forth all over the world in LA and everything like that. So it definitely, a lot of it was back into the business of my career, but I did live very happily on that for Probably about a good eight years, maybe nine years, maybe one, ten years. One song. One song. Sorry, so you're in this game. You're mm. 19. <laughs> you've got all this money. People yeah. want to meet you. Mm. The stakes are very high all of a sudden, I guess. Like, yes. Was that a fun time or like being 19 in LA with this power and this money and this freedom? Mm. Could it have been ropey or was it ropey? No, it was a bit ropey because like I said, there's no college for the music industry. There's colleges for learning how to write and you can do your production course. I always say this to people, but you actually don't know what it's like until you're living the life of a songwriter and no one really teaches you what the etiquette is or you know it's not like a normal job so you're figuring it out and I was figuring it out on my own traveling to a lot of places like Oslo you know and you're on your own in hotel rooms and then also of course because you've had this big hit it's like can you write another one of those and you don't write ever thinking like that you write like do you know what I mean you don't write think that's why I felt a lot of pressure I was being put in rooms with a lot of big producers like Red One who was just just about to come out with Lady, Lady Gaga. Gaga. He just me, danced, didn't he? He said, yeah, play me this. He goes, this is my new artist, Stephanie, but her name is Lady 
Lady Gaga. And so I was meeting all these up and coming artists and producers and being in the room and just, it was a really lonely time, but it was also an amazing time because hearing your song on the radio all over the world. And that was amazing. And being able to get into these rooms, but I almost felt like I wasn't worthy to be there, which might sound weird, but for me, it was like, it felt very fast. Even though looking back, I had almost been preparing for it since I was seven. But for me, it felt like a lot of people spend a lot of time they don't have hits till they're like 30, like as in as a songwriter. Yeah. So for me, it almost was like, this was almost like huge. And then it was like, how do I maintain it? So that pressure definitely was tough on me, but I did my best. <laughs> and was there any, I don't want to, I don't want to like dig for dirt where there is no dirt, <laughs> yeah. but we had Taylor Parks on the show a while ago. Yeah, I love Taylor. She's amazing. So if people don't know Taylor, she's, she's kind of doing what Ruthann is doing. She's, she made, I guess her name as a songwriter and now is going the artist route. <laughs> She wrote uh, High Hopes for Panic at the Disco and Ariana Seven Rings. Yeah, she's, and she's on another level. For Khalid and stuff. She's, <laughs> she's sick, yeah. But she was saying that her dad, he used to hate dropping her off to studios in LA because mm. there was just, I guess it's the musical equivalent of that Harvey Weinstein vibe. He said yeah. he always worried for her safety. He didn't like, he just said he felt he was dropping her into unsafe atmospheres. Now, nothing ever happened to her. Yeah. Thank God. But thank she kind of said that's because she had her wits about her. Yeah, I think I did too. I have experienced so much misogyny in writing rooms still to this day. To be in this mus- in the music industry as a female, you really have to be able to know how to communicate with boys in a way because if you're over emotional, you're out. If you're in a writing room. Yeah, if you're too girly, you're out. They'll just get another one. Why? Because men, I think it's a man and woman thing. Like, this is just my opinion of what I've experienced. I kind of have to save my girly time. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you have to be able to joke and have banter and, and just make it a good atmosphere for everybody. But if you're over emotional or too bossy, okay, it can be... Yeah, they'll just get someone else because you're too much to deal with. Like I had someone say to me, and to a two sound engineers that I that I worked with, and one of them worked with a very big producer friend of mine, and had worked with them for years. And I'm very, I've been in the industry for twelve years. I know exactly how I want the vocals sound, and I produce vocals, so I'm not mean about it. But I'm like, okay, can you move this to here? Can we make this louder? Just like directing, right? Which yeah. is normal as a producer of your own song. And he said, oh, you're. He said to a friend of mine, oh, she's really bossy. And so I rang him up and I said, listen, what do you define as bossy? Because I'm just telling you what way I want the vocals. It'll save you time. It just by me saying, okay, put this here, do this there. Um, But I don't mean to come across. And I said, and let me ask you a question. When he says it to you, the other producer you work with, do you think he's bossy? Because he's even more direct than me. And he said, "Uh, your point's taken. I, I, I get you. It was the, it was the fact that it was a woman and we've worked together ever since. And he, once I said that, once I said, do you find him bossy? And he was like, no, okay, I get you. I've had it with musicians too. Can you play that like that? And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, why is she telling me what to do? Do you know what I mean? But when a man comes in and says that everyone's just like, I'll do it. It's like a weird thing that I think the music industry, we definitely need to work on. And as far as Me Too stuff, I have had a Me Too experience that actually happened to me later on I was very safe in the beginning because I had a manager who my parents had gotten to know his family was there we were with his kids I stayed with him so I was very protected when I was younger actually yeah. um, and then I learned a lot you know I had girls saying to me you need to sleep with this producer to get records you need to sleep with this A&R and I never did any of that I didn't 
And who who are these girls that are saying that? This was this was other songwriters, other big songwriters. I had a a manager tell me before that I needed to use my sexuality more, and then pointed to another big female songwriter and said she gets stuff because she acts like she'll sleep with them. And like actually making me watch her, like watch her, observe her. And she was kind of like, you know, just doing whatever she does. And it was like, you need to be more like that. And that was at 22. I was told that advice. You need to sleep with them or you need to act like you would sleep with them. Well, the sleeping with them is its own thing. But yeah. the, the acting like you would sleep with them. Like, did you interpret that at the time? Like, are you just exploiting these idiot men who are so easily malleable that if you flirt with them, yeah. they'll give you these great opportunities? Or did you view that as I'm being exploited myself? Uh, a little bit of both. I found the whole thing. I just, maybe it's the way I was raised. I was just like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like use your sexuality more. I was like, I'm not a person that can fake anything like that. So it wouldn't be, I couldn't fake that. There are some people who are so good at like, if I'm not into, I'm not into, I can't fake a flirtation. I can't fake a chemistry. I can't even fake a friendship. Like it's not my vibe. So I found the whole thing ridiculous. And I found it pathetic watching other people have to do that. And for me, it was like, I'm going to do this with my talent. Because for me, my talent is not my body. I'm not like an Instagram model. I'm not saying that Instagram models use that either. But I just mean like my talent has always brought me further than anything else. So that's what I always would lead with. It's like, what's my power in the situation is my talent. I'm not going to use my sexuality to get me ahead because then people only then view you as that. I feel like they that's a label that's hard to shake even if you yeah. even if you give one time yeah exactly I wanted my name to be you know reliable delivers is late sometimes but like writes great songs I've seen people's Chris the girl who told me to do that the particular songwriter who was like you need to sleep with people I, I've slept with everybody <laughs> produced was and she had some big songs and I at the time I kind of envied the fact that she was getting these big songs but she's not around anymore yeah she's a writer that no one works with anymore she fell out with a lot of people over the sexual stuff and sleeping with this and and so it's drama that you just don't want to have if I've ever gotten with someone in the industry it's because I've had a relationship with them and it's been a boyfriend girl I've definitely been with like had romantic relations with with people but they've been my boyfriend or yeah, sure. it's not like I'm going to sleep with you and get a cut and then I'm out it's not I've never had to do that I never would want to but, do that but even like I, it strikes me strange that exists for songwriting because I guess if you're mm-hmm. and like if you take it back to Hollywood yeah. a director could cast any number of capable actors actresses mm-hmm. and maybe the difference is one decides to sleep with them and he exploits them in that way yeah. but you, you you're selling a product you have a song like the song is the kingmaker well you, so- th- you think that but it's not always yeah. sometimes it's it's I actually think it exists everywhere because I think that what I've learned is it's about your relationships with people and you set the you set the boundary of what that relationship is and and it's not just men this is the thing it's like some of these females were told by other females like it wasn't a man songwriter who said that to me it was a woman at 21 young songwriter in LA if I was not raised the way I was and, and instilled the things in me I could have been influenced oh well everyone's doing it so sometimes it's the girls who just think well this is what I have to do and what's even worse is when I did experience the Me Too movement which Me Too moment which I won't go fully into detail with because I'm not really ready to do that it was almost like the producer was used to everyone saying yes. Yeah. And it was horrifying that it was a no. And it almost was unacceptable that it was a no. And that was because maybe the other girls were just like throwing themselves. He had a very famous 
uh, mom and dad who had Grammys and he, he he's like, I have a Grammy. What are you talking about? No. Like there's that type of, sometimes the men don't even realise that like a no is a no. And for the music industry, it was like, but I'm, I'm this person. Why don't you want to, how dare you like reject me type thing? I'm sorry that so happened. So, yeah, no, way. it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's and fine. obviously yeah, you're going to, you'll reconcile that in your own time. Yeah. It's a problem in the culture, but I think it is changing. I hope it's changing and I hope to be part of that change for females because there's not many female songwriters. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's because it's a murky world. Like, I, I was thinking recently, actually, when, well, just when I knew we were going to chat, like, about all the Dr. Luke stuff with Kesha, because ultimately he was proved innocent in a court of law. Mm-hmm. She said all these things and mm-hmm. she, she got this big wave of support. Like, Adele very publicly uh, backed yeah. her, Taylor Swift very publicly backed her. Yeah. Um, and then the law falls on his side and she's kind of, I kind of wondered about Kesha. Yeah. After that, she's in this no man's land where she's not, she's not been vindicated. She's considered a whistleblower. Like it's a murky world. It's, it is. I mean, the Kesha thing I do know a lot about because an ex-manager of mine used to manage her and she had to be included in the court documents. And I met Kesha back in the day. I saw kind of what was going on in the world. And I think that I feel very bad for her that she was mistreated in any way it's a tough thing to comment on if you weren't in the room it's just like the Michael Jackson thing it's like I believe something when bad happened but I I can't I can never say for sure because I wasn't there none of us were there in those rooms so I almost feel like the victims it's great when people come out and have a voice but I just hope that they find peace in themselves because it's always going to be the other side of it who's going to say that didn't happen and so I feel like the public don't need to heal you I think you need to heal yourself yeah. You know, like I don't need when when what happened to me happened and it wasn't anything that far. But I had to come to terms with the fact that people might think, oh, you know, did she flirt with him? Was she wearing a short skirt? I wasn't. I was wearing jeans and a jumper. But like, you know what I mean? Or like and that kind of rhetoric yeah. is as old as the hills. Uh, yeah. For or girls. the label's going to if I make a thing about this, will the labels book me again? I don't want to. It was like, I don't want to make a scene. I don't want to make a scene. I, I want to keep my I don't want people thinking that I'm, you know, but really what I needed was just to find peace myself. I had to heal myself. And I hope that's forthcoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm all good. Since you mentioned now Michael Jackson, this conversation has been had by a lot of people. We'll Mm. jump back to it for a sec. I'm in the same camp as you. I believe something... Something wasn't happened. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. I've said this a few times. I have yeah. his vinyls on my wall. Dangerous was the first ever album I bought. I saw him in the RDS when I was like, in whatever. Oh, you saw him live. 1996. So yeah. So History jealous. World Tour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was peak. You know, slightly, when you see the artist slightly, slightly past. off peak. I'd yeah. Say dangerous was, for me. Yeah. 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 yeah bad was, dangerous. He probably was lowering two. some keys and doing less dancing. Yeah. Mate, a little bit of that. <laughs> but seminal artist for me. Like, yeah. idolized him. And and yet, there was the Vanity Fair article that said, look, 10 inalienable truths about the Michael Jackson scenario. Yeah. Whether or not you believe something happened or didn't happen, here are facts. And he gave the breakdown of all the money he paid to Jordy Chandler and all the other boys that had alleged all these things. And there was loads of things. The thing that got me the most was the walkway to his bedroom was alarmed yeah. for sound. As in, if anybody was approaching his bedroom, an alarm would go off. And this wasn't replicated all over the house. People were saying, ah, that's just a security feature. It was, it was only for his bedroom. And also I saw an interview with his with his former housemaid who said she would regularly clean the jacuzzi in his bedroom and there would be like young boys' underpants in it. Oh, um, so, so, and again, I don't know. That's why... You can't say for sure. That's why everyone keeps saying to me, you know, when is this music industry Harvey Weinstein? And I'm like, listen, music people 
are flawed. Like if you go back to geniuses like that are kind of messed up. Yeah. I know. I ba- bad people can make good art. That's the... Well, they're, it's a breeding ground for... Their art comes from a lot of this messed up damage. Even the Ryan Adams case. A lot of it comes from these... From alcoholism, from drug addiction, from some type of... You know, so, and, and with Michael, I think that everyone... It was always like, well, he never had a childhood. But now we're looking back at it now. At the time, it was like, whatever. He likes to... But it's weird. There's no one that today could say that it wasn't weird that he had at 34, 35, 36, 10 year old boys sitting on his lap and they were his people that he wanted around and in his bed. Yeah. Like if, if that was you, like that's why anyone who I argue this with, I'm like, listen, we'll never know about the physical stuff because we weren't there. But it was weird and it damaged them. No matter what you say, they are damaged people. You could see that so clearly, no matter what the level of it was, he damaged them and the families were torn apart and damaged. And so, yeah, he is guilty of damaging people. And even this thing, people saying, oh, Wade Robson, love, him. Yeah. love him too. Wade yeah. Robson, oh, he's a gold digger. He tried to exploit the Jackson estate. I kind of go, if I was in that scenario Mm. and I had been used and abused, if... I think I too would try exploit the estate then for all I was worth. Like, yeah. I, like the fact he might have wanted to extract money or get a job. There was an allegation, not an allegation, but oh, he said he wanted tour. to be the Cirque du Soleil choreographer for the Vegas show, the Michael yeah. Jackson Cirque du Soleil thingy. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. He could want that job and want the financial rewards and the status and also have been abused. I kind of, that's, that rings hollow for me. Because also what everyone always forgets in these things is like, well, you know, how do they not know and why do they protect themselves? So long. There's like so much manipulation that goes on in situations that I've been in that were misogynistic in the industry. I didn't know at the time. Some of the people that were really like kind of being very misogynistic were kind of being assholes to me. And I was like, oh, but I love them. They're so great because they're getting me work and they're bringing me in on sessions. But then it doesn't go. And then I was kind of like realizing like, wait a second, they're actually, this is wrong. You're manipulated. And that's what people forget about. So he would have been, I, Michael Jackson, you're the best dancer ever. I love you. I'll get you jobs. Of course he would have been promised everything. And then all of a sudden you're just see you later yeah of course you're going to be like well I'd like that job that you prom-. you know there's a give and take and I think that he let these boys believe I'll be there for you forever you know and if there was abuse then they're confused about their sexuality they're in love with someone and it's almost like getting dumped and you're heartbroken there's so many emotions that go so it's not as simple for everyone needs to not look at it so black and white not to be referenced ding ding how do you feel about radio play like there was a big debate in here and I think ultimately they decided that they, it would impact his radio play right um in a bad way there was well there was a right. debate in 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 rte um so radio one certainly took his music off 2fm he wouldn't be a feature artist for 2fm but like the weekend sampled Weekends, him john yeah. gibbon sampled him would yeah. i lie to you yeah like he his, he has a presence there's the the justin timberlake one if we went into if we put a microscope on a lot of these artists we'd end up playing no one I'm going to be honest because I know a lot of things about a lot of artists and you hear stories and you go about this one being this and and I personally am trying to separate the art from the artist. Okay. Just because I would find it so hard to be in a nightclub and don't stop to get enough come on and I just walk off in a huff like I would find that so hard because I think that the record making behind that process was with Quincy it was with more people than just him and I'm, and they're just such great records Yeah, that's not to say that I excuse any of the behaviour but I think I'm able to kind of condemn the crimes but also 
Love the sin, hate the, the sinner. Mu- yeah, love the music. Like I think that Should we. I say w- that wrong. I- love the sinner, hate the sin. That's yeah. The sorry. <laughs> I think that honestly, if we went back and we took a microscope and looked at all the past big legends, we'd find issues with them all, punishable issues. So I think the radio would be pretty quiet. Unless you want to play new people like me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm perfectly innocent. Um, Well, on that note, oh, new people like me. So you, (laughs) for example, Slow Hands, Mm -hmm. that changed... Niall's career it did it changed that whole album campaign it's a good album it's a great album yeah but without that song it would have been a very different campaign that propelled him to a different level and he chose to go down not, it's not a country album but yeah. a little bit more folksy route yeah and without Slow Hands yes he doesn't get mainstream commercial radio play that album it doesn't do the business it does he doesn't do the tour he does all these things right yeah. so you Big song. and him and together changed his career with that song right and, and <laughs> I'm just happy to be a part of it I feel like Julian is the producer of that and I think the production was such a big because for Julian it was like how do we because he'd heard all the albums Slow Hands was like the last it was the second last song we wrote for it it was the day before we wrote Fire Away was the last one Slow Hands and I remember when they played me what they had started, I was like, this is different than the rest of the record. Not in a, not in too far away, but I knew it was something good, but I didn't, I don't think any of us thought it was going to be number one on American radio or anything like that. But Julian was smart. He was like, okay, we have all these songs, but we need that one. And he's, so he has, and even a lot of people have asked me about the production, about the, the way the vocal sound and the way the instruments sound. And I really feel like Niall nailed it in the way of just taking that risk, knowing that it was a great sound for him and not being afraid of that edgier sound because he had done a lot of more acoustic folksy stuff for the album. For me, whenever now I see it live and everyone's singing it and everything like that, I'm like, oh, it's it's like, it's his song, you know? Yeah. And it's so hard when you've been in One Direction you know, you're like, are the fans going to be wanting them to sing, you know, best song ever, story of my life? But it's not. They want to hear slow hands. And that's that's what you that's what you aim to do when you work with an artist is have that moment. So, But, but I guess like the very first song you wrote, not the first song you wrote, but mm. your first big hit we talked about, Jojo, that mm. changed her career mm-hmm. right up to very recently. Niall yeah. coming out of 1D, that song that you're involved in changes his career. <laughs> yeah. Britney work bitch kind of brought her back that was a resurrection point for her as well that was a resurrection and it's like one of it's when I go saw her Las Vegas show she opens with it it was the last song as well and all the merch was work bitch merch I wasn't even sure it was going to be on the set in the set I was like there's so many classics but it's kind of become do you get a cut of that merch one of her I know I actually needed to ask someone about that but it was so funny because we went in and of course my two friends were with me and we'd gotten tickets and they were really whatever and they're going "Uh, she wrote that can she have that for free they're like no (laughs) (laughs) It's like, no, like, and I was like, don't worry, we'll pay, we'll pay. Um, But yeah, no, it's, it's so cool to have moments like that to be a part of like people's, yeah, career Have you, have you met Britney? No. Isn't that mad that you could be like an instrumental part of her career and not have met her? She tweeted my name. Oh, nice. And that was enough for me. Just like the song credits. Oh yeah. And that was when I... I didn't even know it was coming out. Okay. I got well. I got a call and I got it played down the phone to me. Yeah, and I was like, he and the the guy I did it with Anthony was like, do you know who that is? I'm like, please, that is Britney Spears. And I just been broken up with. I was oh. so broken hearted. And then it was like Britney's, and I was like, that's Britney Spears. He's like, yeah, it's coming out in four days. So I thought he was lying. I was like, it's not. I never had that quick of a turnaround. So I was like. 
Okay. And then literally on that fourth day, I didn't even tell, I told my friends because I was like, yeah, he broke up with me. Whatever. Britney Spears is like sung my song. Might never come out, but like whatever. <laughs> and then literally four days later, I get a tweet with my name from her and everyone's tweeting me. And then it comes out and I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Because it was, I mean, that was off the back of her, like, she so dipped her head above the sand, all right. But, like, mm. that was the ugliest moment, I think, in pop culture history when she in the modern era. Like, she was sick. very obviously mentally unwell. Yeah. And she was bullied mm. into submission, yeah. into breakdown. Oh, yeah. And now it's so funny how the culture is changing because now, now we're a lot more mentally health aware. Yeah. than we were. I've always been mentally health aware because my dad has PTSD. There's a lot of mental health in my family. So I've always known about it. I've been very, se- I'm very sensitive with people because I know what words can do. And, you know, you've got to be, you just don't know people are damaged. But it's so funny to me now that the world is only kind of copping on yeah. to like mental health and like don't kick someone when they're down and just kind of be. Just don't kick them full yeah, stop. Just, yeah, exactly. Like just, just, you know, everyone's getting a bit nicer, but then also there's like with comedy there's like a lot of effect it's there's a line and i just don't want to pass to the other side where we can't joke because my dad loves a good like i mean like you know even people jokes are allowed oh i'm a big fan of ricky gervais's mantra you don't have a right to be not offended yeah like offense is very subjective i find that offensive great i like cheese it's just an arbitrary statement yeah exactly I i just don't want it to get to a point where comedians can't say boo without everyone having a viral like let's kill them type thing yeah I think that they're... although on that note there's a very interesting I remember there was a piece done about Louis C.K. yes and before he was the famous Louis C.K. I know he's had problems recently but the mm. basic story was before he became super famous and he was doing the club circuit and he was making a name for himself mm. there was a critic who used to go to his show as a comedy critic who took a dislike to him oh. and he used to give him bad reviews right okay so Louis C.K. used to use this in his material this critic hates me and he had basically a comedy set around the, the uh, critic the, the critic getting yeah. you know getting bad reviews and then but as his fame rose mm. he stopped doing the routine because he became more famous than the critic and he said it's funny if I'm punching up it's not funny if I'm punching down I like if I'm that. now Louis CK the superstar and I'm going look at you you little shit critic you're a waste of space here's yeah. a joke at your expense it becomes less funny I mean I, I always loved Louis CK I think he's hilarious just, I just feel bad that. But do we think, okay? Well, he did get his dick out in front of several people. It's well, like wanking. I yeah, mean, I mean, which is so weird. Like, it's not first great of all, behavior. It's so weird. It's such weird behavior. Like, it's like that whole thing of people just whipping out the dick. I just am like, why would you do that? Although in a session once, oh my god, that happened to me once in a session with, and they will vouch for me who wrote the. Song and a lot of your favorite little mix, little mix songs in a session with an artist whipped it out. The artist, the artist whipped it out. I can't say who it is. What was the reaction? I just didn't even have to say. He's, he kept referring to it like, oh, you wouldn't be able to handle this. Because people flirt with you in sessions sometimes. Some people do. By getting their dick out and go, you wouldn't be well, able to handle this. But normally it's just a, it's just harmless. Like, and you, Yeah, yeah harmless it's not, flirting, it's, sure. And then so, and I was just writing. Next of all, whips it out. It actually comes out of the thing. And is at the desk and the other boys are in the other room and he turns around and he whipped it back in. And I was just, I think I just went, like, I didn't even say anything. And then I went, I can't believe you just got your dick out. And then was like, Rudan, let's go outside and brought me outside. All right, he said to him, like, that's not cool, man. You can't do that. Yeah. Took me outside and said, do you want to continue the session? So we just ended the session. Oh, you ended it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I just was like, it's a bit awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But he that still, just so nice of him. He's like, you okay after that? I always think about how messed up that was that he did that. But yeah, that's happened to me. Okay. Not the wanking, because that would have been like... And the, yeah, and, and then I guess the, like, the question is, are you allowed just to apologise? Like, is Louis C.K. allowed to sincerely apologise? You know, he's lost millions. He's a privileged man anyway. But yeah. I guess some people would say he's entitled to make a living if he apologises on he cracks. And then other people would say, when you do that kind of thing, you deny yourself the right to operate in this arena of extreme privilege, like extreme yeah. wealth and power. And where, where there's huge power imbalances there's huge dysfunction and I guess he felt like if he was a plumber and was walking into the office and getting his dick out he would have been fired on day one 100%. but he's you know he, he wields yeah. power over these these female comedians he controls and that's what really the whole conversation is about when you think about it it's a power complex it's like it's what we as a society would let people away with versus what we will now Yeah. back in the day you were just afraid or you were like well it's him so he can just do what he wants and I think now what's good about it is people can't just do what they want anymore no matter who they are because there's this forum that you can just like if that happened to me I could have tweeted and said at whatever so and so just got his dick out myself you know you could (laughs) no that's not anyone that made it substantially but yeah so it's like nowadays you have to be careful because everything can be filmed you know every concert can be filmed every interaction can be tweeted it's like you can people are filming people in the gym and shit like you can be just filmed anywhere so it's like you have to be more careful but I do think you always get your karma for being a piece of shit eventually but I don't know if it means you have to destroy like they can never see the light of it like it's almost like this prison sentence from the public are like you will never make a dime people have to eat people have to live what is the sentence for a crime that you don't really go to jail for like that as in like you know what I mean like other crimes public shaming is the thing how long should it last for what extent should it be I think that you know he's gotten his karma losing so much money and he apologizing I think what worries me more and I think someone says about R. Kelly is like them learning that they were wrong like R. Kelly not even understanding that's what the most he doesn't even understand he's wrong you could go to prison for 20 years and come out and repeat the same thing because you never fully accepted that you were a piece of shit so if someone can come out and say you know what I was a piece of shit I was wrong and they actually fully really believe and know that they were just fucked up and they use their power and whatever and they can own it then I do think they should be redemption for those people and forgive if they're going to come out and go I didn't do nothing to these girls if you can say to someone I'm sick and I need help I think anyone can be forgiven yeah maybe um, not murderers but you know what I mean the, the, we got way sidetracked sorry the whole no it's Mike <laughs> the, the whole point I was making about about with Jojo at the start of your career right mm. up recently with Niall and Slow Hands yes. changing his career you're making that transition from songwriter to artist yeah. and I suppose do you have expectations because you've 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 created that for other people. Mm. Are you happy with the rate of how it's going? Do you kind of go, fuck, if I don't make it for myself the way I've made it for other people, Mm. that that's a failure? Or are you just enjoying the process? I'm just enjoying the process. You know, I love being around people and performing for them. And like, it's just part of who I am. So singing in any capacity is always something I have loved, whether it's for like two people or 20. Like it's not the level what took me years to get over was that 
fighting against the hits I've had, competing with myself, the expectation of like, if this doesn't come out and get, you know, 10 million streams in one day, like a Nile song or something, am I going to feel like a failure? Am I afraid that people will think I'm a failure because the numbers won't be the same? So a lot of it was like, there was a lot of those thoughts and it can take several years to build these days. And I even look at Nile's career and I go, and I'm looking at his dreams for solo record, but then I'm like, but he had this whole One Direction phase. There's a phase that everybody goes through of building their platforms. And so you can't really compare the journeys. You just have to do what's real. If I can sing, I sang last night for MTV push thing at tape in London, which probably like a hundred people. It was, I had the best time. Yeah. Okay. okay. You know, so it's like, and then Niall had me up at the three arena to sing, seeing blinds with him, which we wrote together at the three arena. And I had the best time, but it's not like, and I got to open for Hozier last year and Alanis Morissette. So I feel like I've already won because there was so many people in the industry that, that think if you're a songwriter, you're just a songwriter. Hey, here's the thing I didn't know about you until very recently (laughs) is you were a vocal coach on the X Factor. I was. Now, is this the UK one or the American one? I did a bit on both. Actually, I did the full season of the US, USA. Um, and which season was that? The one that Demi Lovato. It wasn't season one of the American one. Yeah. No, no. The next season. Because remember, it was, what was his name? Steve. I can't even remember his name. It was a big UK presenter. He presented on Channel 4. Yeah. And he was the, I remember him. What I know of it, Dermot O'Leary was really put out to not be asked to be the American host. And Simon Cowell went for this guy, Steve, super handsome guy. Yeah. His second name, of course, eludes me now. No, I but he did a terrible job. They fired him? They fired him after season one. There was a thing where a young kid had a bit of a meltdown and started oh. crying and collapsed on stage in tears. And Steve just stood there kind of a bit feckless and he didn't react quick enough. And Simon had to get up out of his chair and go hug the kid. And apparently that's the moment it all kind of went wrong. Oh, my God. And and Cheryl was was meant to do it and she got fired. That was right. She did all the pre-promo and then Mm. they said they couldn't understand her accent. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a crazy world. The X Factor world. Yeah, I did. I also did all the backing vocals for for every girl track that you heard was my voice of the backing vocals, not the lead vocals. They sang them and I would record them out. So I'd vocal coach the contestants during the day and then I would go to each producer's house and record all the vocals for the... How do you feel about X Factor as a vehicle in general? Oh, it's controversial for me to say. I think that it's changed a lot of people's lives. Yeah. I think I think it's, I think with everything, it's like, you know, some people, they do great. Look at One Direction, look at Little Mix. But then where's, you know, your man, not Shane Ward, well... Christopher, ben Haynow. Christopher Maloney, Ben Haynow, Matt Cardle. Matt Cardle. And it might have happened without X Factor anyway, but he he kind of, I think, checked himself in or certainly to... admitted he was having problems. He had like addiction problems and stuff yeah. like that. Like imagine winning X Factor the year that One Direction were on it. And then you're... You're overlooked immediately. Yeah, I mean, I think with anything, it's tough. And then I also vocal coached the USA winners, Alex and Sierra, yeah. and we worked on their album. I had five songs of the album. We were so excited. And then it didn't do as well as what they hoped and they pumped a lot of them and then it was like bye bye and they were dropped so it's it's a it's definitely a I'll say this it's a TV show yeah, and I think that they look for t- great TV moments, and I think that the problem with it is is that after the t- after it ends, there's a new season, new people, and it's how do you keep looking after the careers of the ones Who from the season before. before? Yeah, and I think that that's the problem with the. I think that there's been exceptions to the rule, but I think the exceptions come from the One Direction fans, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but I don't think it was the record label that just did this unbelievable job. I think they just there was something about them that oh, attracted. Timing. There was timing. It was a phenomenon. The fans took over 
marketing. They marked the fans marketed them. They became this force. And then the label almost were like, we need to deliver some tunes to keep that up. Now, I will say they kept it up for so long because they got great songwriting teams in, like like Julian, who, who did So Hands With Me and, uh, and like got them in. And I had some songs with them as well. Got great songwriters in and maintained and made really good music. And the boys were smart about the music choices and, and stuff like that. But I think that it's a TV show and that's what you need to remember. I guess you dip your toe in being a novice, mm-hmm. right? So you go, you do your audition, you do well in your audition, all of a sudden you're on the biggest TV vehicle mm. that the world has seen in so long. Yeah. Prime time, every weekend, and you get used to it maybe or used to the idea of it yeah. and you get a little glimpse of what the trappings of success might look like mm. and you get a little tiny taste and then it stops and it's very brutal. And then so one week you're getting, I guess, chauffeured to and from in limos and you're having all your meals look after and people yeah. are coming selfies and then the next week you're on the bus. And that's the thing is that at the time, you know, everyone's all about you. You've got the makeup, the hair, the glam. I was there with contestants that when they were having a good week, they were the gods and then they had a bad week and they got slammed back down to reality and then there was the focus put on another contestant or we need to we need to put the focus on this contestant because of this or their story or whatever and everything like that and so you start seeing their the confidence of some of the contestants just go to an all-time low i think that the people who maintain careers that's the other thing people have to remember is that once you come out you will have a moment like leona had a moment and whatever but it's all about can you forge a career right like james arthur got dropped and then he went and made a great album and got his shit together. And but that's he, why he's successful now. James Arthur, for me, is f- a fascinating case study because mm. immensely talented. Yeah, Like amazing. so much natural talent. Probably one of the best live vocalists that's ever been well, on X Factor. Yeah, um, definitely. Incredible so- uh, songwriting sensibility and all that stuff. But he got dropped because he was a liability on social media. And, yes. he's, you know, he had some comments that it was, you know, homophobic stuff in yeah. there. And he was he was just saying bad things about the wrong people. <laughs> But However, also, well, go on. The yeah. music didn't do as well. The music wasn't doing great. And that's the thing. It was probably doing well enough that to keep him afloat. To keep him afloat, but with X Factor, because they're used to these big. Th- Simon's mind is big TV moments, Susan Boyle moments. And so they want every single to be a big TV moment. And if it's not that. Yeah, but I, like, I think the thing with James Arthur was but funny. He, like, yeah. he obviously didn't have, he obviously didn't have any media training no, or he, anything like he that. Was from, you know, that's the other thing is that a lot of the people who go on X Factor, they're from, like, they've got normal job. They're not in the industry. He, he had a rough upbringing. He needed media training. He needed a, a, a probably a, a, some kind of clinician. He yeah. needed a, like a mental yeah. health therapist or whatever. But he was able to come back because, and, and anyone from X Factor says, when they keep making great music, the platform is only going to get you so far I think it, it all turned when you remember when they did that Rage Against the Machine Christmas they were like let's beat the we're sick of X Factor getting the number one the Christmas number one and then you notice that they got the number one and the poor man who won I can't even remember his name Joe whatever he was number nine and ever since then oh Joe McKeldry Joe McKeldry they've never gone they never air it now around Christmas it always finishes way before Christmas so they're not going for Christmas number one so I think it started becoming I think anything that looks too contrived people start sniffing out yeah it's just tired as well yeah it's been a long time why didn't Leona Lewis make it I mean she she initially made it and then she just died oh she fell away (sighs) how do I say this nicely I think she's got an amazing voice but to be a great artist you need great songs and if you start running out of songs you know, at some point, but why why wasn't it, why wasn't a self fulfilling prophecy? Because Bleeding Love, one of the all time great pop songs, 
and she also how do you beat that? Yeah, but like, were people not lining up to give her massive tunes after that? No, is it just that people felt she lacked the the performance artistry? Yeah, I I always struggled a bit with her. I don't know. There's a million different reasons why people don't make it and people don't uh, and whatever. I also think sometimes what happens, and this is a real thing that happens when someone like that gets gets the hit and they're a big deal and they're having hits, then all of a sudden they're like, I want to write or I want to choose the music, and the power starts shifting. And then sometimes that can be for better or worse. Okay. The artist might have great taste. They might pick great songs or they pick bad songs. I actually had a Leona cut. It never came out. <laughs> Called Perfection that I did with the people who wrote it. It's late and I thought they were crazy not to put it out. But that's the other thing is that I feel like sometimes for me with the X Factor thing, they move on. Same thing happens. They move on too quickly to the next, like Alexander Burke wins. Oh, where's Leona? Oh, there's Alexander Burke. Because they keep replacing themselves. And Louisa, they begged me to work with Louisa. And I love her voice. She's I think a super she, talented kid. Oh, amazing voice. I vocal coach. I thought, oh my God. But the record they wanted to make was like a, she is a big vocalist. And they wanted to give her, or she wanted actually, I heard it was her. She wanted like songs that wouldn't show that. And I don't think that the viewers voted for her because of, I think it was her voice and her look was great but I think that she wanted to be the type of artist I don't think the, the audience would buy into when you, Ariana's got a voice and Seven Rings isn't exactly a belter you know yeah, what I mean but she led with what her strength was the first records are vocal yeah yeah okay and then it's like same with Beyonce it's like they get the big you gotta sometimes go with the big pop classics if you wanna be in the, that vein and then you stylize yourself like Bruno it's like he didn't start with like uptown funk on it he was like I would catch a grenade for like big pop classics so I feel like the mistake sometimes is that they try to go into a lane that maybe their audience isn't ready for that's just my observation yeah and and also when you have a song as big as Bleeding Love the pressure hit songs don't come around all the time so the pressure to match that and almost then where do you go is she going to just do ballads? Do you know what I mean? Like, is she a balladeer? And what's wrong with X Factor is when they're not the songwriters themselves, like we fall in love with Adele because we know it's coming from Adele. We fall in love with Ed Sheeran, even with Lewis Capaldi now. To maintain that type of level, I feel like you have to start, even with Ariana, why this has brought her to another level. She's talking about her own life. You're listening to the lyrics and you're going, I know that she wrote these or it was there. Yeah, yeah. People want to hear what you want, what you have to say. Uh, final questions yes biggest professional regret oh so mad <laughs> I had an Ariana Grande song on hold for eight months <gasps> but they held it for eight months and this was before um, I got one less problem without you oh, yeah, one, yeah. Like the, when she kind of was really starting to break mainstream and it was really sad because what happens is when they, when they put a song on hold a lot of the time the team that's her main team they try beat the song because the a and is playing it to them but we want this and then goes okay sick I'm gonna make a better one <laughs> and then you're like oh. oh and then you don't find out so the song's just in there so that was the big one and so what so, so it was on hold for eight months and then they just call you one day and say sorry it's not happening yeah and so the whole time you're like yeah I have a song on hold Ariana. like people are like Hasn't, oh yeah like Ariana's like because you say cutting is means recording it's like oh yeah Ariana's cutting one of my songs so it's yeah big deal and then it's like you know when you're at all the Grammy parties oh yeah I just I have a song with Ariana and then it's not happening and you're like egg on face <laughs> yeah, they're like oh it, yeah no they didn't it didn't end up making it yeah so that's sad and very finally yes um, what's the favourite song <laughs> what's your favourite song that you've written for yourself or another? Oh my God. I would pick In the Name of Love. Oh yeah? Just because I was broke when I wrote it. I was down. I was almost having to get the boat home. All the money had dried up. <laughs> wow. And I was in a place where I was like, I need to write something great for me. I wasn't trying to write a hit or anything. So when we wrote that, 
for me, I was like, I'm really proud of this. I love the lyrics. I love how it became this future bass thing. But then people were doing covers of it on piano. And I think it's a really, I love it. Okay. Yeah, that's my favourite. Awesome. Right now, but it changes. Hey, you've been an open book. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope people don't hate me after this. No. Too open. It's been absolutely fascinating. TMI. And and you know what? I hope it kicks off for you the way it deserves to. Thank you. But that means then we wouldn't get to do this podcast again. So I'm glad I got you now. No, we totally can do it again before I have the entourage pushing everyone out of the way. The entourage is your dad at the moment. Yes. Dad will never let anyone else be the entourage. Okay, He's going to be. He is the entourage. You need someone undeniably in your corner. Ruth Ann, your star. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So that was it for this week. Big love to Ruth Ann for coming on. If you like the podcast, please share. Uh, please tell your friends. Please rate it in the App Store and uh, leave reviews and all that good stuff. And we'll talk to you next week. Peace.